You are listening to the Riverbend Youth Podcast. We hope this teaching deepens your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to share your faith with others. Please enjoy the message. Well, I was reading a story about an experience that someone had at youth camp recently, and I wanted to share it with you. I don't know about y'all. I'm really excited to go to youth camp this summer. We're going to Estes Park, Colorado. It's going to be amazing. Who's all going? Some people, some people. Okay, good. I'm excited. Okay, well, here's the story. Let me just read it to us. He says this. Um, When I was in middle school and high school, my youth group went to a Christian summer camp every year. The camp went on all summer, but different groups would go go each Monday to Friday. The idea was that youth groups could figure out which week worked best for them, and that's when they would go. There were several hundred students at each camp with a bunch of different churches represented. So it sounds like, you know, the youth camp that we kind of go to. People showed up from all over the place. The summer after my sophomore year, my youth group registered for camp on a week that I couldn't go. Oh, no. I was so upset because I absolutely loved church camp. In an effort to help me feel better, my mom said, why don't we just go another week? We'll get a hotel room and you can go to sessions and meet other people. Doesn't that sound so fun? No, mom, it doesn't. That's what they're thinking. Thanks. Sage is the best. Am I right? Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. The introvert in me, any introverts in here? Yeah. Of course not. You're not going to raise your hand. I'm just kidding. You you raise, the introverts were like, that's cool. Um, So the introvert, in me wasn't excited about this idea at all. Plus going to summer camp with my mom, not my ex- uh, idea exactly of a good time, but she talked me into it as moms do. My youth pastor knew a youth pastor from another church who would be there. So he called him and asked if I could tag along to the sessions. And that's exactly what I did. And I absolutely hated it. Absolutely hated it. These are not my people. I remember thinking this youth group isn't my youth group. They don't get me, and I don't get them. I acted like a brat and made up my mind to be miserable. My poor mom. What's ironic is the next summer, I went back to the same camp, but this camp with my youth group. A couple of my closest friends were there. They're both extroverts, and it didn't take long for us to make all kinds of friends with people from all kinds of different backgrounds. We loved the idea of getting to know people who were different. See, when I had the security of my friends, I was totally confident to mix it up with new kids. But when it wasn't there, I made up my mind that the strangers who were too different for me to be friends with. See, I share that to point out something that I think we all just naturally do. We tend to naturally gravitate toward people that are like us. We tend to naturally gravitate toward people that have similar interests to us, that we're comfortable with, because it's just easy. You don't have to to try as much, right? And when it comes to people who are different, we naturally stay away, because it takes energy. And what if they're rude or mean or weird? And I don't want to waste all this time trying to get to know that person if there's not going to be any long-term potential. So for most of us, we stay in our zone. It's not malicious. It's not exclusive, at least not intentionally. It just kind of happens naturally. And think about you just for a sec. And maybe it's subconscious, 
but maybe you distance yourself from the popular kids. Maybe you distance yourself from the goody goods. You're like, they don't even know how to have fun. They don't know what fun is. Maybe you're the opposite and you distance yourself from the partiers. Or maybe you distance yourself from the people who are into drama or theater and stuff or non-church people, or you distance yourself from church people, I don't even want to be here right now, you might say. But going a little deeper, if you're really to get inside of your heart and just be honest for a second, I wonder if we, again, not maliciously, not exclusively, but very subconsciously distance ourselves from people who look different, who might be a different size, shape, or color. I wonder if we distance ourselves from people of different races, religions, cultures, or financial statuses than us. People who have a different ability than you. Again, you might say, I love everybody. And that might very well be true. But these things do kind of still happen, right? Like, just naturally, like if you were just to take a an evaluation and an inventory of, of your friend group and, and, and who they're like and what they're like. Is it people who look a lot like you? Who do a lot of the same things you are? Who have a lot of the same common interests? Or is it wildly, wildly diverse? See, because when these things happen, these separations, these kind of groupings, when these things happen, we tend to say, oh, there are groups of people who are better than other groups of people. And we say, like, at least I'm not like that group, or at least I'm not as bad as those people. And we kind of rank and rate one another, right? I've even heard people justify not liking certain people and not liking certain groups of people because it's actually the Christian thing to do. Like, we shouldn't associate with the gays. We shouldn't. Or people who are pro-abortion or people whose parents are like that side of the political spectrum or people who are still listening to Sam Smith. I mean, really? <laughs> but what does God think about all this? Because that's what we're here for anyway. I mean, this is a church, right? And if there's one place that we should get this right, I think it would be the church. If there's one place where it shouldn't matter what you look like, where you come from, what you're into, what you've done, what you are doing, what you will do, like, doesn't, it doesn't matter. We should all be like one people with absolutely no barriers between any of us. There shouldn't be these exclusive groupings within this living organism of people right now, right here on a Sunday morning at Urban Youth, right? But it happens, doesn't it? Don't you see in the lobby, like, there's this group over here and that group over there, and, like, why doesn't it just look like this, like a, like a big old mixing pot? Like, put in all the ingredients, whip it up, you know what you get? Cake. And everybody loves cake, Okay. The answer is actually in the Bible. What is the Christian thing to do? What does God think about this? And um, it's built into the Bible verse that we've been in for this entire series. If you've been here for the entire series, you probably know the darn thing by heart by now. And if you haven't, then man, read up because it's a good one. It's so good. I mentioned this in week one. I got it tattooed on my wrist. Love God, love people. And the verse is in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 where Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment is, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We've beat this verse to 
death for the past five weeks. What new could possibly come out of it? You're like, good Lord, Ren, move on. We've heard this thing already before. I get it. Love God. Love people. Love yourself. Right? But love your neighbor. We haven't really talked about that as much. We tend to think neighbor means someone in close proximity to us, someone right next to us, even people who are close to us or, or like us. But it doesn't. You're like, my friends are my neighbors. I'm going to love my friends really well. But it's actually bigger than that, and the people uh, of the, who receive this in its original context would have known what Jesus meant when he said neighbor because he had talked about it before. But for those of us in this room who might not know this story, I want to take us back to the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible or you have your Bible app, go ahead and pull it out and get into the Gospel of John really quick and turn to John chapter 4. And while you're doing that, I just want to kind of set it up a little bit. John, and we're going to be in the Bible every single Sunday. If you don't get in the Bible at all, uh, at any point throughout the week whatsoever, like make Sunday mornings here at Urban Youth the time that you get into, into the Bible, into God's Word. I think there's power in it. Even if you download the YouVersion Bible app and you're on your phone, that's fine as long as you're on the Bible app. We have people in the back who will watch you. And if you're not on the Bible app and you're playing Among Us or scrolling TikTok or something, you're just going to get, you're going to feel a slap right across the back of the head. And it's, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be any of us. That's the Spirit of God. Uh, he is convicting you, so be in his word or get smacked. That's what the new shirts are going to say. Um, but anyway, he explained, John, right, um, exactly what Jesus meant when he said neighbor, so that everyone knew when Jesus brought it up again what he meant. And here's the story, John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He, being Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. He was traveling, you know. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son, or gave to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Original audience would have understood something real quick. Jesus, from his culture, would not have been talking to this woman alone who's from a completely different culture. She was a Samaritan. So there's a few things to point out. Number one, Jesus was in a surprising place. Don't miss the correlation here because this is talking to you. He was in a surprising place. He was in a place that he wouldn't ordinarily go that you wouldn't expect him to be at. He intentionally put himself in a place that would have been different from where he would have normally gone. Do you do that? Because if you want to meet different people, you got to go to different places. So he was at a place you wouldn't expect him to go. Number two, Jesus was talking to a surprising person. He talked to people you wouldn't expect him to talk to. If he was really a rabbi and really a teacher, he wouldn't associate, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't associate with the lowly and the social outcasts and the people who were unclean, right? But Jesus did. So do you? Finally, Jesus knew her reputation. 
He knew what people would think when they caught wind of him, this person who was claiming to be the son of God, walking around, performing all of these miracles, talking to this woman. People would be like, no. Fat no. Illegitimize him immediately. But he did it anyway. Are you worried about what people will think when you hang out with somebody, whenever you go and talk to that person or, or that group? Is your fear of what they will think greater than, than God's call on our life to love everyone? Because it wasn't for Jesus. So he was in a surprising place, talking to a surprising person, and he knew the stakes. Does it anyway. He's setting an example for us. Now, this is already surprising enough, just as it is, just to stand alone and for this to this just to happen was already surprising. People would have been like, oh, my goodness, that's what they would have said. But it gets crazier. Jesus replies to the woman in verse 13. Anyone who drinks this water, remember they're at a well, a big hole in the ground, you lower a bucket. If you drink this water, you're going to become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, if you're the woman, you're like, mm, okay, so I'm not the weird one here. You're the weird one. Because whatever you just said makes no sense and is so strange. We're in this weirdness, social outcast thing together because you sound crazy. But Jesus would go on, and you can read this in your Bibles because we're not going to get totally into it, but I encourage you to in your own time to see more of how the interaction played out. He talks to this woman about things like worship and the Messiah, this long-awaited Savior who would save everyone forever, past, present, and future sins, the things that separated us from God. He would save them. And everyone was waiting for that person. And he was like telling her about this, this person who was going to do that, who was going to arrive on planet Earth and redeem and rescue and reconcile the whole darn thing. Everyone was like, yes, please, Lord, because these laws suck. Um, and, and he was talking to her about that. And then he goes on to say this in, in John chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus told the woman, I am that guy. I am the Messiah. It's me. You're looking at him. And this, this water that will become a bubbling spring within you to give you eternal life that will never run out, that's the Holy Spirit. That's whenever you put your faith in me and whenever you believe and trust God, it, it goes on forever. It's a, it's a kingdom with no end. Water's a metaphor, right? He's talking about something bigger. He hasn't been talking about water the entire time. But the craziest thing is, before Jesus declared this to anyone else, even his friend group and the people that he was the closest with, he was going to all of these churches and speaking with all of these religious leaders. There were a lot of people who were very close to him that he hung out with a lot, his inner circle. He hadn't told them this yet. He hadn't told them this, this explicitly. He just came out and said it to this Samaritan woman at a well. Why? Why? This woman, uh, who was a woman at thousands of 2,000 years ago, not even close to equal social status, right? 
She was an outcast because of the things that she had done, which if you read in your Bible, you can see what her reputation really was. And she was a different race. And Jesus chose her. Why? Because he wanted to show us it doesn't matter who you're close to. It doesn't matter who your inner circle is. It doesn't matter who your friends are. You've got to get outside of that and, and share even maybe the most deep information with someone out, like bring them in to, to parts of you that nobody else knows. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of social status. Don't be a culture, uh, afraid of cultural differences. Don't be afraid of, of gender differences, right? Like, like break all that down and see the person whom God loves, whom God sees, how God sees them. The trajectory of history on this planet changed at that moment. It was that powerful. It was that powerful. You know why? Because the woman went and told everybody. She couldn't shut up about it. The fact that, that, that this guy would have chosen her, that, that he would have seen her and valued her enough to think, I trust you with this. You, you are worthy of this. Of, of my attention, of my time, of my consideration and my care. There are people that you know who are around you or people who know you probably every day who are worthy of your care and attention and your consideration. But we just, we just walk right on by them all the time, don't we? Like, because they're different, because they're weird, because what people might think, all of these things. But Jesus wasn't afraid. And, and here's what happened in John Chapter 4, verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, this guy told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, Jesus, they begged him to stay in their village, so he did for two more days, long enough for many more people to hear his message and to believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you have told us, but because we've heard it from him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. This is not a magic trick. This isn't something that happened in isolation, like just a, like a one-off kind of thing that, well, it was all hearsay. He, he went and, and showed himself to all of these people in this entire culture, and they all believed it too. And then news about Jesus Christ, the son of God, the savior of the world, started to spread like wildfire and people told people, told people, told people and they believed because what happened at that well and what happened in this city would have never happened unless something supernatural was taking place, unless it really was God himself. And that's why people believed and that's why people are still talking about it 2,000 years later. That's why we're here today. So do you believe do you believe? Because the same Savior, the same Jesus, is at work in you. If you put your faith in him, even if, if not, there's this, there's this bubbling spring giving eternal life welling within you. There is this ability to enter into different spaces to enter into different conversations with surprising people 
with different reputations and break down the barriers and break down the walls so that everyone watching will say, I don't know why that's happening. There is no reason she should ever be talking to her. There's no reason that those two people should be hanging out. They have nothing in common. It makes no sense. The sense that it makes is we both love Jesus. Every other barrier is broken down at the foot of the cross. People will have no choice but to believe. They'll say, miracles clearly happen, right? When this youth group in this place is so unified that there's a whole group of people here who have no business hanging out together because we have nothing in common, right? Some of us. We're on like total different ends of like the athletic spectrum, the academic spectrum, the financial spectrum. Like who can None of that matters in the presence of God. If we can't do it here, we can't do it there. We can't do it in our schools. We can't do it online. And that's the real world. At our jobs, who are those people in your life? Who are those people that, that you don't want to be associated with whatsoever? Because that's probably the people God's going to call you to. That's probably the person. You probably have a name in your head right now. You're like, oh, that, that kid. I know him, man. He's in my fifth period chemistry class. How do you see him? How does people see him? How does God see him? What are you going to do? You can do this. Three things. You can move people out of a category and into a conversation. You can move people out of a category and into a conversation. I just encourage you to start a conversation. Go through the conversation in your head. Think of questions. Those are a great way to start a conversation. If you've ever met me and you didn't know me before, I've probably asked you, how old are you? What grade are you in? What school do you go to? What are you into? You doing anything for South by Southwest? It's spring break. What's up? I like those shoes. Compliment somebody, right? Enter into a conversation. Take people out of a category. They're weird. Be like, well, maybe there's more to them than that. Maybe there's more to them than you know. Maybe you might really love and appreciate and respect them if you just moved them into a conversation and out of a category. Number two, you can go from knowing about them to knowing them. People got reputations, right? The woman at the well had a reputation. You can go from knowing about somebody to really knowing them. And then finally, you can see people the way God sees people. And I think that's the goal, and I think that's the culmination of this entire series. See people the way God sees people including yourself. If you love God and you're loving people and you're seeing yourself and others the way God does, we've got this thing figured out. We've, we've arrived. We're done. Let's just pray and go home. But it's a life work and it's hard and it's unnatural and you will get made fun of and friends will leave. But there's no better life. I can tell you from experience, there's nothing better than living a life that God has mapped out for you. It's, it's not complicated. It's simple. That's why the series is called that. We sit here wondering, does the Bible condemn X, Y, Z? Should we hang out with dudes who wear dresses and paint their nails or is it like, oh, sin? Should we avoid people with a, with a promiscuous reputation or who do the drugs? Because mom said not to hang out with those people. 
who have a different image than us, who are in a different clique than us? The answer is simple. And we know it because Jesus demonstrated it. Everyone is valuable. Everyone is worth getting to know. God loves everyone equally, even you, even me. Do you love like that? Really challenge yourself with it and then put it into practice. Because if you say you do, prove it. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Youth Podcast. To learn about our mission, gatherings, and more, please follow us on Instagram at rbyouth or check out our website at riverbend.com students. If you were encouraged by this message, please subscribe, rate us, and consider sharing our channel with a friend. Available anywhere you get podcasts.